Happy Easter, everyone. Thank you. All right. So you guys doing okay? I am Pastor Mark, and, and this is E3. I'm one of the pastors here, and this is Easter, and we are so excited about you guys uh, choosing to celebrate uh, our risen Lord with us today. I don't know if you've picked up yet, uh, but there's a theme today. today's uh, worship gathering. Has anybody picked that up yet? Freedom, Freedom. yeah, Absolutely. We just finished a series called Seven on the Seven Deadly Sins and uh, different things that enslave us and, and things that could lead to spiritual death or could lead to spiritual captivity. And we really wanted today to be uh, about, about freedom. We were really thinking about, you know, what is the significance uh, behind Jesus raising from the dead in the empty tomb. And it really comes down to that we have the opportunity for freedom. But there is a challenge that hopefully we can overcome today. And there's a difference between gospel freedom and freedom that we think about in the 21st century. That a lot of times we think, you know, oh, you know, that, that freedom is a lack of constraint, or if I won the lottery, I would, I would be free, or if I, I could just do whatever I want, that would be freedom. And that's a lot of times how we think about uh, freedom in the 21st century. But I think as we look at God's Word and we look today at like what gospel or biblical freedom actually looks like, we're going to see that that isn't actually freedom at all. I was reminded of this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I was on a family vacation with some friends and, and family, and we were in this cabin, and uh, we started doing uh, puzzles together. You ever do that in cabins, just kind of hanging out, doing puzzles? It's kind of a cabin thing to do, right? And having a lot of fun. So we were doing puzzles and everything. We came up with this one puzzle where we started doing it, and you know, just, just a second. Uh, this is just a point of clarification. I just want to see if I'm correct. Do you do the outside first or do you do the inside? All right. Those who were in the cabin who, did you hear that? Okay. So I want to say, I was right. Okay. So we're going along and we're doing the, we're doing everything and, and when it came time to, you know, you're starting to fill it and everything, we realized that there was something amiss. You know, instead of the puzzle being a rectangle, it was more of an octagon. And, and there, was a, there was some issues. And we found out that the, uh, a lot of the pieces, that, that they were interchangeable. Have you ever had a puzzle like that? That like you could, those random pieces could fit in? So... We actually had to take a step back and, and, and undo a bunch of the pieces. And then me and uh, uh, Chad, who's here, uh, we started actually had a little accountability group. Uh, we would actually, like I would get a piece together and then I'd flip it over and look at the color shadings. And it was of a canyon. So, you know, lots of browns and things like that. And I'd give it to him. I'm like, what do you think? And he was like, 90%, you know, or something like that. So we kept on doing it, and, and eventually we gave up because it was just like, you know what? 
I'm gonna go buy another puzzle that the pieces don't all interchange so we can, we can finish it and then we had a good time because we were meant to be having fun and it was just a point of frustration. But you, you think about doing that puzzle, we had the freedom to put the pieces wherever we wanted almost. It just, uh, they were all interchangeable and, and, but it wasn't what the designer intended. We weren't ever going to come out with the beautiful picture of the canyon if we just kind of exercised on the, on the freedom of being able to put whatever piece we wanted wherever we wanted. That there, there was a correlation there. And this is what uh, St. Augustine, one of our, our church uh, founders, early church founders, talked about freedom. He said this, true freedom is not a choice or a lack of constraint, but being what you are meant to be. I think that's such a beautiful way to put it. Because think about it. Think about it in your work. You know, freedom in work and freedom in life is being what you are meant to be. It really doesn't have anything to do with money or really even kind of the organizational structure or anything like that. When you find meaningful work, the thing that you're doing what you are meant to do, that you have automatically, you experience freedom in the workplace. My dad used to say, do what you love and you'll never work again. Right. It's a common, common thing. It's like when you go out and you work for the paycheck or you work for, for a company or something like that, we find out that, you know what, I, I feel all these you know, uh, restraints on me and I feel like I'm a slave or, or uh, you know, I'm working the grind and all this. But there's others who, who go to work, but they don't even really think about it at work. They think about it as an extension of their life. And this is where we start to get a hint of biblical freedom. Because again, St. Augustine said, true freedom is not a choice or lack of constraint but being what you are meant to be. Well, what are we meant to be? Think about Genesis. We were created in God's image. We, in the New Testament, we talk about it this way, that we are meant to be like Christ. We are meant to be Christ-like. We were designed to be in relationship with God, that in this unfettered relationship. And Realistically, when you come down to it and you look at the gospel and you look at the contrast between gospel freedom and you look at what the cheap imitation of the world says, like freedom is having no monetary constraints, not having any constraints, we all know that and we've seen example after example of it that that type of freedom, that type of, of 21st century freedom actually leads to bondage. So if you think about it and you go back, you know, back into Genesis 2, I think we get our real uh, first sense of biblical freedom. When when God told the man and the woman, they didn't have their names yet before the fall, uh, the man and the woman in the Garden of, uh, of Eden, that they were told that they could eat of any fruit, any fruit except the one tree, Right? And you, you think about that, and, and for a lot of us, we may say, well, then they weren't free. 
because there were constraints on it. But we know how it turned out, right? We know that, that them acting on, on uh, going and eating that fruit, that it's a story of, of shame and of hiding, of allegation, of toil, and, and ultimately death. There's interesting book by uh, John Milton called Paradise Lost, and kind of referring to this kind of this idea that I don't want any constraints, he had Lucifer in the book say this, it's better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. And that's really, if you think about it, that, that was the mentality of, of, of Satan and what had him cause the fall, that he would rather reign in hell than to serve the Lord. Uh, many years ago, remember that show, Survivor? Of course you do. No. <laughs> Where have you been? <laughs> Welcome out of prison, right? Uh, you're free. Yeah, you're free. Yeah. Well, I remember this, I don't know what season it was, but there was this, this guy who... Uh, there was this one team that like really became the super team right after they went into teams. And, and he was kind of the servant guy on it. And he totally betrayed that team to go and be the leader of the loser team. And I remember them interviewing and saying, why would you do that? And he, and he said, you know what? I'd rather be the, the, the leader of the losing team than be uh, just part of the winning team. And this is really, we talked about this last week and pride and just position and, and things like this, but it really comes down to this, this, idea that, this idea that if I'm the boss, then I am free, then I, I make the rules and I rather make the rules than have my, be under the constraint of anyone else. So when you think about Adam and Eve, it really begs the question, of uh, when were Adam and Eve the most free? You ever think about that? I got two questions for you. Was it when they were in the Garden of Eden, when they could eat anything except the one tree, when they, were they the most free when they were in the Garden of Eden, they could eat everything except one tree? Or was it after the fall where they were basically out on their own and outcasts. And it's an interesting thing to, to think about in the context of freedom. And I think if you roll it back and you think about what were we designed to be? What were we designed to do? And if you roll it all the way back again, that we were designed to be an unfettered relationship with God. That we experience the most freedom when we are as close to doing or being with the person or in the in the in the uh, uh, the situation that most closely resembles or uh, who we were designed to be, so I want to uh, just go over four different passages of scripture. They're they're short, but really talk about this idea of freedom. And the first one is the freedom paradox. The Bible is. Filled. It's a it's a major theme in in scripture is freedom. 
and slavery and this idea of, of being a slave to sin. And, and then even Paul many times talks about being a slave to Christ and, and it can become very, very confusing. So this is what I'd like you to do. First, open up your Bibles to Roman chapter six. We're gonna start in verse 20. And you're gonna see the paradoxical language that Paul uses right off the bat. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. And I want to stop there and just, I love this, this, this uh, uh, contrast that, that, that he's saying, look, when you were free from any obligation that you, it ended up as a result that you are now ashamed of the things that you used to do. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but is there anything in your past that you are ashamed of? That if we flashed it on the screen for everyone to see, you would kind of sink down a little bit, right? Or maybe a lot bit, or maybe you would dart right out the back door. All of us have these things, these things when we thought we were exercising uh, freedom in the sense of a life of no constraint, that we ended up engaging in things that we are embarrassed of or ashamed of. Uh, in another place in Scripture that, that Paul talks about how he's, he's not ashamed of the gospel, and I love this, this uh, contrasting of you know what, the shame of, of trying to live out this false sense of freedom, but you know what, not being ashamed and actually boasting about a new life in Christ. So verse 22, but now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do the things that led to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, here we have this, this kind of clue of, again, what does it look like to have freedom in, in Christ? And I think if you look at it in the, in the sense of religion, it's very, very difficult. If you think about it in the sense of, of you know what? How do I, you know, how am I free in Christ? What does that look like if, if I have this obligation to holistically love God and to love others? How is that true freedom? If I'm meant to follow Christ in person, action, and deeds, how is that freedom? Isn't, isn't freedom being able just to do whatever I want to do? And I think that that's kind of wrong thinking, or as my daughter would say, you're not thinking correctly, uh, that, that actually... If you have to think about it relationally, what you were created to be, and you were created to be in the unfettered relationship with God. And if you think about the best relationships that you have, if you think about the ones that, you know, the people that you're most comfortable with, that you're most intimate with, that, that there, there are expectations that you do out of love, right? But there's also this freedom. There's this freedom in that relationship. Those of you who are married, think about your first date and how you acted in your first date 
versus now how you act 25 years after marriage. Is it just me? You know, I... You know, your first date, I'm sure you combed your hair, or you, you, you know, you made sure that, you know, you had pants on, uh, you know, you brushed your teeth, things like that. You made sure that all noises kept internal, uh, <laughs> right? The, you know, all these kind of things that after 25 years of marriage, maybe so, not so much. And, and again, it, it's this idea that... the. There's a freedom in right relationships. There's this authenticity that, that you don't have to put on a false facade, that there, there's been enough time and foundation in that relationship. And I think when you think about God and you think about the ideal state where, where Adam and Eve or the man and the woman would walk with God in the garden, and there was just this casual intimacy that is beautiful and that develops in intimate relationships. The next thing is that we need to realize about freedom is there's a cost to freedom. In America, we have a, a saying um, that is freedom is, is not free, right? Freedom is not free. You guys have heard of that, right? What does it mean? Somebody paid for it. I mean, just... Think about this. Pastor Eric was talking about how today is a day that all over the world, Christians are celebrating Jesus rising from the dead. But they're not, all Christians are not celebrating it in the same way. Not one of us sat down today worried that the police or government officials were going to break down the doors and arrest us all for worshiping Jesus today, right? Right? Because we are free, we have uh, freedom of worship in this country. But that's not the norm. That was paid for by the blood of men and women for hundreds of years in our country. In China, they can't do that. Definitely in, the, in many countries in the Middle East, that is not the reality. There is a cost of freedom, just like our relational freedom was paid for at a price as we celebrated on Good Friday as Christ's death on the cross. So if you turn to Romans chapter 8, because of that price that, that God paid, that Jesus paid, now we know that there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, those who are in relationship with Christ Jesus. Now again, a relationship... Is, is, is not a, a hard and fast thing, that a relationship means that there, there's this, this mutual melding of, of a, two people or a group of people. And even though I have freedom in my marriage, I also have things that I'm not allowed to do in my marriage. There's things that I committed to my wife when we got married that you know, I will honor you, I will respect you, you know, I will, you know, it, till death do we part, these, these kind of things. And even I entered into this relationship freely, but there was also commitment. And this is what we see in uh, our relationship with Christ. Verse two, and because you belong to him, the power of life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. And then verse three, very powerful statement, 
The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Verse four, he did this so that just requirements of the law would be satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. And this is the reoccurring theme that we see in freedom. That freedom, we have freedom in the relationship, that we have freedom in the pursuit of Christ. And that it is through the relationship of having an encounter with the one true living God that we are transformed to being the people, the women and the men that God created us to be. And the one of the uh, real difficulties is, is that we seem to vacillate between uh, one or another uh, kind of way. That we just finished the series, as I said, on the seven deadly sins. And those seven deadly sins, just to remind you, is pride, envy, wrath, gluttony, lust, sloth, and greed. And a lot of times we think about sins in those kind of ways, these, these negative kind of things, but there's also what I call the eighth deadly sin, and that's self-realized holiness. And that can be every bit as deadly as the other sins. That, that Jesus talks about him being the narrow way, and a lot of times I like to think about it as a causeway. And on one side, you have kind of these carnal uh, uh, self-destructive kind of behaviors, you know, pride, greed, lust, sloth, those, those kind of things. But on the other side, you have self-realized holiness. You have self-righteousness. You have all this stuff. And either side you go, it ends in spiritual death. And really, the only way to have relational health, the only way to experience the life that God has envisioned for you is to keep your eyes on Jesus to keep pursuing him. It's also the key to having a right relationship with your spouse, keeping your eyes on your spouse and pursuing them. It's also the, the same uh, secret to having lifelong friends is focusing on them and their needs and, and building those relationships. I often say that God is the author of relationships and the rules are all the same in every relationship you have. You violate, one real, uh, you violate one rule at any level, it's going to hurt that relationship, whether it is with your friend, your spouse, or your Lord and Savior. So if you turn to Galatians chapter 5, that uh, Paul really does a great job talking about the eighth deadly sin, and that is self-realized holiness. Galatians chapter five, verse one. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in the slavery of the law. Again, the law is the 16, 613 laws of Moses. And he's saying, look, 
Don't do this big shift from, you know, being part of, of the, you know, the world and what the world has to offer and switch and jump all the way over into self-realized holiness. And this is why he said, listen, I tell you this. And then in this passage, it's pretty cool. He has three if yous. That's I-F-Y-O-U, okay? <laughs> I offended some people in the, in the first gathering. So if yous, he has three if yous. Everybody tracking? All right, good. The first one, he says, listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be no benefit to you. If you are counting on. In that day, in that culture, it was uh, circumcision. But in our culture, it's lots of different things, right? If you, I could add, if you are counting on church attendance to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. If you are counting on tithing to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. If you are counting on on serving or going on missions trips to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. This is what Paul is trying to say is is this self-realized holiness that you can do good things and you can do good things your whole life and miss the best thing. And that is a right relationship with God. The next if you is, I'll say it again, if you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. So this is the next thing. If you are trying to find favor with God, if you're trying to win God's favor by anything, by going to church, by serving, by doing all of these things, then you know what? You gotta follow the whole law of Moses. If you are trying to find favor with God by you know, taking your shopping cart, not leaving it in the, in the parking spot next to your car, but actually putting it into the, the shopping cart bin. If you do that and you're trying to, you know, like, God, check me out. If you are trying to find favor with God because of that, if that's the reason that you are doing it, then you know what? You have to obey everything. If you're going to go on this self-righteous, you know, uh, and try to earn your way to heaven by the righteous things that you do, you have to go all the way. And I just want to let you know there's only one person who's ever walked this planet who's done that. That's Jesus. And everybody else has failed. In fact, Paul says that, uh, that all have sinned, all have fallen short of God's glorious standard. And then the final if you, if you are trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. And here again, that, that we have Paul writing this, these three if yous is just trying to show you that, you know what, 
we can go so far to the other side that we actually get cut off from Christ, that we lose grace because we have thrown ourselves into uh, uh, a situation where we don't think that we're in need of a Savior. We feel that we are our own Savior. It's a very dangerous place to be. And again, so what is the alternative? What is true freedom? And again, I circle back around and it's this idea of, of true freedom is relational freedom where you have that intimacy, where, where you have that relational space to uh, be secure in the relationship, but also being transformed by that relationship. Because I believe that we, when we have healthy relationships, that, that we start to do things that make the other people happy, that we do things that healthy people do in a relationship. I was over at my friend Jamie's house yesterday, and he was making some coffee, and I didn't even mention it to him when he, when he did it, but it really struck me. He, he went and he made me, uh, made me some coffee, and, uh, and then he went and got a mug, and he had, I didn't even see him do it, but he had boiled some water, and he put the hot water into the mug and warmed up the mug, and then he dumped out the hot water in the mug and then poured the coffee in and then gave it to me. Now, was he free? Like, I did not expect that. And, I, and believe me, that says more about Jamie than it does about me. I'm not trying to make that point. But, but, uh, but I just, I remember him doing that. I'm like, wow, you know, he, he could have just whipped up some instant, you know, and I wouldn't have said anything, but he actually went through this whole process and warmed up the mug and he wanted me to, to have the best cup of coffee. And honestly, just that interaction and me being in relationship with him, next time that we're together, you know, I'm gonna think about that, not out of obligation, but because my friend cared enough about me and, and it made me a better person and I, and I wanna be a better friend to him. And this is, this is, the, this is true relational freedom. It's not out of a sense of obligation. It's out of a sense of desire for the other person or in our relationship with God. It's a desire to please God, not because he expects it, not because he demands it, but because of the intimacy we have and because he loved us first and showed us how to love that we want to love him back. And then finally, there is freedom. In 2 Corinthians, and I want to finish with this, chapter 3, verse 17. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I love this. I love this. It's so simple, but it's so profound, right? For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It's Basically, it's going back to what St. Augustine said, the closer we are to who we've been created to be, the more freedom that we will experience. Here, Paul is, is telling us the closer we are to the Spirit, the closer we are to Jesus, the more freedom that we are going to experience. And I just wrote this down just to close this out. 
When we trust Christ to save us, he removes the burden for us to wow him with our goodness. We are free just to be ourselves, a new creation transformed by his goodness. And there's a huge difference between trying to dazzle or wow God with our own goodness and being transformed into a new creation by his goodness. Wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I just wanna close with this in Revelation where we're left with this, this image where Jesus is knocking on the door and he says, if you open up the door, he'll come in and he'll share a meal with you as friends. And I just think that that is just such a beautiful kind of uh, image of relational freedom, of what it means to be free in Christ. That, that yeah, you know what? You're opening the door. Yeah, you know what? You're, you're cooking and, and serving Christ a meal. But you're not giving him dinner to eat. You're actually having a meal to share. And this level of intimacy is not out of obligation, but it is motivated by love. That our faith and our intimacy, and when things are working at their best, and when you're in a healthy relationship with God and with each other, it is not of obligation, but it is motivated by love. You guys pray with me.